Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. Hi, this is Erica Schultz. And Claire Connolly. And you're listening Listening to to Adrian Adrian Has Has Issues. guys um i guess i should probably intro the show because we just already got into it um (laughs) (laughs) hey and welcome to adrian has issues i'm adrian and well you already know my voice you hear me every week but i am speaking to someone whom i met i would say what was it maybe a year ago a special edition nyc yeah which sadly will not be this year oh that broke my heart when i heard that news and then with all the stuff going on with your comic-con i'm even more depressed Oh, I know. And Specials is just a great, small little, like, special show. It's really tragic. It really is. She is a fantastic writer of some really cool books. Let's see. Let's run down the list. Andrew Jackson in Space, Stronghold, Sea of Clouds. And just recently, your book, Kim and Kim, got picked up by Black Mass Studios, which is really awesome get. But without further ado, Magdalene Visaggio. Magdalene, how's it going? It's going really good. It's a beautiful-ish day. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, maybe. Me, I'm wilting. Well, I mean, where are you? I'm in Long Island. Oh, see, I'm in Manhattan, and it's about probably about the same, and it was brutal earlier, but I have like a million fans going, so. Oh, okay. Uh, That's yeah. why I said beautiful-ish. Like, the sun was <laughs> out, the sky was blue. Yeah, there's a question of, do you have fans? Because I turned all of mine off because they interfered with the microphones. Um, I have one fan going off on the other side, and we have the AC going in the other room, blowing into this room, and there's another fan in the corner. That's probably making a difference, because I'm sweating like I am in like a Senate Judiciary hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but that's okay. We'll we'll make it work. But um, it's great to be able to chat with you. I know we spoke very briefly, like I said, at Special Edition. You guys are really awesome, and I've been wanting to chat with you for a very long time, and I'm glad that with Kim and Kim, we're able to get the opportunity. Yeah, I finally have something worth talking about. <laughs> well, there's always something worth talking about. Like, I mean, I've talked to people about, like, Fast and Furious and Power Rangers, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, in terms of like, you know, like projects, I've had a lot of projects I was working on, but didn't have the resources to sort of keep it going. So Kim and Kim is the uh, first thing I'm going to be able to see through to completion sort of by itself. It's going to be very nice. Comics is an expensive game. Yeah, I didn't even realize that up until, I mean, granted, being a comic fan for a long time, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people who for years was like, you know, how expensive is it to make a comic book? 
so, so expensive. It's unreasonably expensive. It's a great hobby if you love spending buckets of money for smidgens of respect. <laughs> oh, no, no, I love it. I would, ne- I would never leave it in the world because I love spending buckets of money for smidgens of respect. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great game. There's all these fantastic people in it. There's just a really big barrier of entry if you want to get past a certain level. Right. But I will say, though, you and there seems to be like a nice chunk of creators who I see a lot on Twitter and you guys interact. I guess I know like you, uh, Katie Rex, Fabian Lay, Taylor Esposito. There's like this really cool core of indie creators who've worked on so many different projects. And I like the fact that at least as as far as my end, it's a really cool community of people. And, you know, you're always, you know, working with each other, always collaborating. And it's nice to see that that's still a thing and that spirit isn't necessarily dead. Oh, no, totally. Um, The cool thing about the comic scene, especially the level we're working at, at the, right now, right, is it's like garage bands, you know, in that you've got a whole bunch of people who can each do like one or two things. And if anybody wants to get anything done, they have to build a team of people. And the more work you put out, the more work you're able to put out. And the more people you know, the more work you're able to do. So it's like, you know, if you're a letterer like Taylor Esposito or Zach Sam, you know, you're like the drummer in that there's like two drummers in town and they're in like 16 bands. (laughs) You know, but, you know, a guitarist who wants to start his own band has to like assemble everything from scratch. Right. Uh, So there's a really similar dynamic to it. In a way, though, I think it helps. I feel that for a long time for people, there was like this weird feeling that once you got into comics, like with music, you're automatically like this rock star, then you just got to hand it work. But at the same time, like it's not the case and it may be unfortunate, but at the same time, it's like, hey, you know, you really work at your craft and you guys are really just into it. And there's none of that sort of, well, I'm just going to take all the credit. And it's a really unified thing, I feel. You do still run into that some. Especially because comics right now is in this really sort of writer driven era. So writers tend to get a lot more credit than the rest of the team for the success of a book or for the quality of a book. And so even if the writers themselves aren't the ones who are, you know, tooting their own horn, you definitely do tend to get more attention focused there. Right. So there's like a real concerted effort within comics to make sure that whoever is getting the attention is pointing to everyone else who's making their success possible in exactly the same way so like yeah kim and kim was sort of my original idea but the vision of the book that you have there's so much of katie in it there's so much of claudia and there's so much of ava you know they're all over the book and there's sort of no way to ignore what they bring to it as being important right and i know back at comic-con 2015 you had released an ash can of kim and kim which i did read and it's fantastic but i know we've thrown out the title a few times so i guess we should probably let everybody else know uh who's not <laughs> us uh, what kim and kim is all about okay so <laughs> i still haven't worked out my 30 second elevator pitch for it well, that's perfectly fine kim and kim is a couple of best friend interdimensional bounty hunters who get a little in over their heads after they snipe someone else's collar it's uh a really sassy, fun, day-glow, energetic kind of punk rock book that's queer as hell and, you know, primarily focuses on women. You mentioned, like, sort of the punk rock, the snappy attitude. Like, I love in the description, it's like, yes, they're actually both named Kim. Don't fucking start. They've already heard it. Yep. <laughs> and that is just the best way to start the book. Because I'm like, all right, I already know the deal. So what was the inspiration behind Kim and Kim? Like, what really led to developing the storyline? I've been asked that question in a few interviews at this point, and I'm not 100% sure how to answer it. 
it's not like I just had like a core like concept at any point. Like Stanley came up with X Men, he was like, okay, well, what if we didn't have to worry about their origins? What if they just had these powers because that's who they are? You know, like that's like a really like compelling idea that drove it. Kim and Kim is coming out a lot of places. The immediate places I was standing in line at Starbucks behind a couple of girls who were best friends and both were named Kim, and I was like, that sounds like a fun idea for a book. You know, to do a book about two best friends at the same name. But everything that it is, is coming from a bunch of different places. I was always really into, like, travelogues and road stories. So, like, I, I read On the Road obsessively in high school. Um, there was a time when I could probably have quoted that book. I really love Han and Chewie and Firefly, where you have these people who are just kind of living off the land but in space. They've got their ship, and that's just that's just what they're doing, is flying around trying to stay afloat. There's a ton of influences going into it that drove it in terms of what kind of story it is. Um, there's a lot of FLCL in it in terms of how I approach it aesthetically, right down to using the bass guitar as a weapon. Oh, that's really cool. I've wanted to do that for 10 years. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. when I first saw FLCL when I was in college, and it stuck with me in this really huge way. And I tried to give Kim and Kim a similar kind of anything goes atmosphere. Right. That there's a lot that there's like a real story to it, but all the trappings of it are just ridiculous yeah like it's cool because it's very irreverent very in your face but at the same time though from the first couple of pages i read in the ash can there's a heart to it and that's something that's really cool because you know some comic books like they're different for the sake of being different but what i like here and which is why i'm imagining the book i picked up in the first place is there's at its core there's just a lot of really fun elements that there's generally like you care about kim and kim these aren't just characters who are, you know, badass for the sake of just being badass. No, they're in fact badass for the sake of not being badass. They're like the sort of people who they're just kind of hanging on for dear life as they struggle to keep going. And a whole lot of their deal is, is sort of posturing. And I think that comes through that there's a lot of fronting in terms of their being badass. They're playing a role. Huh, I guess I didn't think about it that way. That's really cool. When you first released the Ash Can, were you then originally just shopping it out to places, or were you approached by Black Mask? No, we were actively shopping it around. We actually had some really good meetings as a result of uh, the Ash Can at NYCC, but they didn't really go anywhere. The Ash Can got some attention from the right people, and we actually ended up one publisher really, really seriously considering us before realizing they had a conflict with another book on their calendar. The books are too similar, and they're like, well, we can't do both. I'm not going to say what that book is, but I think uh, anyone can figure it out. Right. We ended up going to Boom. So Katie Rex, my editor, is also the writer of Jade Street Protection Services, which is coming out next month at Black Mask. I'm editing that book. And so when I decided to submit a Black Mask, Matt Pozzolo, my publisher, recognized my name from Jade Street. So he was, I think, a little bit more I'm like, oh, what's what's this book? I recognize the, the name of the person behind this one because we're already working together. Right. That was my little bit of an in. I, I actually had wanted to submit to them last year when we were first shopping it around. But Katie's book and my book were similar enough that we didn't want to be in competition with each other anywhere. So we made a point of not submitting to any of the same places. But by the time I submitted a black mask, she had already been picked up. So I figured she was probably safe because there was a contract involved. You mentioned J Street. I had Fabian Lele on a show a couple episodes ago, and that book I'm really excited for. Like, I can't be happier that both J Street and Kim and Kim are now at the same publishing house. I think that's really cool. It actually makes a lot of sense. The books were developed sort of in tandem. You know, both books share a number of people in common. I actually work with Fabian on, on another book that we're still um, in the process of putting the pitch together for that. Katie and I, like, I edit her book. She edits my book. Where there's actually been some artist trades on it. So like Ava and Claudia from Kim and Kim did an incentive cover 
like a, not like a, like a preview cover for Jade Street at uh, ECCC. And Fabian is doing an incentive cover, like a charity cover for Heroes Convention for uh, Kim and Kim. Um, Very cool. But actually, I mean, it is really, really appropriate they're going at the same place because the, the books cover similar like themes and they have a similar attitude. And Katie and I really talk of them as being like sister books. Um, and we have plans that at some point in our lives, we'd like to have everybody meet up at some sort of big, crazy adventure. That would be nuts. I, I think that actually could work. Um, the little bit I've read with Jade Street, those characters, I think they would totally gel in a similar universe, or at least with Kim and Kim. The dynamic between them would be really weird because they're all teenagers and the Kims are all in their mid to late 20s. <laughs> so it'd be like Kim and Kim having to suddenly be like mama bears. <laughs> I think that would just be even funnier in some regard, like just to see them. I couldn't even say parental because I, I feel like that would almost put too much responsibility on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending on what the story was, but uh, the dynamic, I think, would be really kind of a, a an interesting, odd little little thing. I've read. Let's see. What did I read from Black Mask? There was um, We Can Never Go Home. That was a great book. Oh, yeah. What was the other book I just read uh, last week? week before? Was it Four Kids? Yes. Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Four Kids is phenomenal great book and i didn't realize that breck raritz was one of the founders of black mask which it kind of makes sense to everything that i've read because there really is a cool punk rock aesthetic to it yeah and like that's you know right there in their mission statement is bringing the punk rock ethos to comics which is one of the reasons why i was really excited to sub it there and why i wanted to do it originally is because the thing about kim and kim is apart from its kind of like weird punk attitude it's such a bizarre comic right where does it fit in editorial strategy like any other publisher you know like it looks like a kid's book but it's vulgar as hell (laughs) and there's tons of blood and and they talk about sex really frankly but it looks you know like it should be on the shelf next to lumberjanes it looks like hellcat and it's so but it's such a different book and that was one of the things that matt really liked about it when i pitched the book to him um like after i submitted the book he got back to me within about six hours to pick it up which um i was really really happy about one of the things he liked about it was that it definitely feels like something like hellcat but it's got this sort of rash aggressive attitude to it which really makes it a unique book it's true because i can't really think of too much else that it's similar to in terms of the kind the i guess the ways in which it tells the story and that's something that i think is really important You know, we talk a lot. I mean, not you and I specifically, but the community as far as where do you go from here? Because mainstream comics will always be a thing. But now we're in a place where we're starting to see more voices being heard and more stories being told that we, let's be honest, didn't hear 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Let alone five years ago. That is very true. That is very true. The one question is, though, yes, there are people who tell the stories, but okay, who are now going to put these books out there? And you're right. And I know there's some other publishers and believe me, I'm not necessarily knocking them, but there's Image, there's Oni, like I said, there's Boom, and they do a lot. But I, for some reason, couldn't necessarily see a book of this style being at those publishing houses. Yeah, I think Boom was a place I was really like sniffing around for a while, but it was really hard to think of where it would fit into Boom's family of books. In a lot of ways, it feels like a boombox book, but it's definitely not an all-ages story, but it doesn't seem like it's right for their main line. 
It's good that we've got, you know, these publishers like Black Mask that are willing to do weird things. I mean, their whole line coming up is insane. And what's really cool is that they've evolved a lot from where they came from. Because if you look at the first things they, they put out, they were really, really taking the punk rock thing a little more literally. Right. And the books were much more about, like, social consciousness and the political aspects of the punk ethos. But they've really started to embrace that comics aren't exactly the same thing. And that as an avenue for self-expression for the kinds of stories and the kinds of creators you would normally hear from. Like, okay, so like I'm a, I'm a trans woman and I can't think of too many other trans women who are working in comics right now, let alone too many other trans writers who are working in comics right now, let alone any who are doing books about trans women. So like that's a really great opportunity that Black Mask has afforded me because they're actively trying to accomplish this. They're looking for the stories from sort of um, creators who don't have voices at other publishers. Right, exactly. And what's more punk rock than that? Because, you know, I huge music fan and something about the punk rock aesthetic is that it's basically people who normal society or what, you know, we Defined as normal are considered the outsiders or, you know, the people who kind of work on a fringe, which obviously maybe not necessarily the case now, but yet yeah, that same sort of aesthetic is unfortunately in the music scene maybe didn't work out as well as they had hoped. But it's cool to bring the attitude into comic books. Where, like you said, you're hearing voices from trans creators or, you know, LGBT community. And I think it's such a really cool thing. And I, I'm glad that it happened, but I just wish it had happened so much sooner. Yeah, and I really want to give a shout out to another book that is coming out from another good friend of mine from Black Mask. I, like my whole like social circle is in Black Mask right now. So Teeny Howard and Devaki Niyogi have this phenomenal book coming out. I've done some consults and some edits on the script called Skeptics, which is about Cold War fake psychics trying to trick the president. <laughs> oh my God, I need this book right now. <laughs> It's so fantastic, but like the creative team is a homosexual woman and, you know, a, a Bangladeshi woman. It's such a bizarre story. It's not the kind of thing you expect to come from that creative team. And I think at other publishers, it would have had a harder time getting through. I don't want to spend necessarily too much time, you know, kind of poking holes at them. But at this point in the game, you know, why wouldn't you want to then embrace this? Because, well, meanwhile, there are a lot of publishers are DC in like really aggressive, embarrassing ways. And Marvel has just, you know, one step forward, two steps back lately. Right. And I don't know, maybe it's a business thing, because at least I know one thing, if there's Unfortunately, one language that I guess will always carry over is usually comes down to money. Exactly, exactly. And the idea that maybe a book that features queer voices would be cool, and I'm sure it definitely would be, but yeah. But who's going to buy it? Right. And that's that's kind of the risk with Kim and Kim. I try not to be worried about because I've gotten a lot of really positive press on it, and I've gotten a lot of really fantastic feedback, but a really massive chunk of my sort of pre-release quote unquote readership in terms of, you know, like the people who are interested are queer women, you know, queer women and trans women have responded really volcanically to it. And the cisgendered heterosexual audience, it's not that they're not responding to it, but it's certainly not with the same level of enthusiasm. So the question is, is the demo that's really, really rocking it right now enough to carry the book into the future? Right. 
But that's very interesting that you're wondering if the share would go through. But think about it this way. That's a group that unfortunately isn't necessarily getting as much representation in comics. Yeah, that's true. But the question is, is that audience big enough to sustain it? Because at the end of the day, comics is a business. Right. That's something that I've really hit head first. One, since I started doing comics really seriously, not just as a hobby, but second, just in the last few months since my book got picked up, the business end of comics is is really complicated and there's a lot to it. So as much as I am just extremely pro LGBT representation in comics, I hope there's the demand for it. And I think that there is. I don't want to think that I'm like poo-pooing my own audience. I'm not. But like when you've got a business model that's built on a really specific kind of audience, right. which is cishat white dudes, expanding beyond that and risking alienating your, your core audience is obviously something that companies are going to be worried about. And since at the end of the day, it is dollars and cents that, you know, what we're selling is a product that people either want or don't want, you know, and that's something that people are already so emotionally invested in. They have these relationships, these characters and these relations with these companies. And if you're worried that the core audience is going to abandon you for one reason or another, then obviously that's going to limit your ability to take risks. The cool thing about Black Mask is they're young enough that they're still building their core audience. Black Mask's numbers are small to medium size anyway. They're not, you know, selling, you know, 200,000 copy books. But I mean, who is anymore? So like... Correct. When um, Young Terrorist came out, that sold 8,000 copies, and that was their top seller at the time. Like, that was their most successful book ever. Obviously, Four Kids has blown that out of the water. Yeah, that came out of the gate, and that wasn't even a book I was necessarily anticipating by any means, but, you know, a couple of blogs had really spoken very highly about it. So when it came out, I was like, I just had to check it out. I'm like, all right, let's see what the big deal is. And it's like, holy Toledo. Like, I didn't even know I wanted this book until I started reading it. And I feel like Kim and Kim is going to be the same way. Oh, I really, really hope so. This book is so, so close to my heart. I love my Kim so much. They're my life. Like, I'm in the process of getting ready to start writing the fourth issue. And this is a four-issue mini at this point. And we've definitely talked about the book having a future, but right now we've only got the four books. And if we only get the four, I'm going to miss them so much. I'm hoping that people respond to it in a positive way. So far, so good. If people are able to connect with these characters in something like the way that I was able to connect with them in a really, like, I'm, I'm surprised at my emotional attachment to them. I've, I've written a lot, and I've never had characters that mean quite this much to me. And I think that's the difference. And not that writers don't necessarily care about their characters, but there's a difference where you can definitely tell in stories, whether it be comics or movies or TV shows, where... You know, the people who created these characters, they clearly are so invested and it just comes through through the work. And sometimes it just speaks for itself. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think the, that's the truest when you've got characters that they're able to pour more of themselves into than they might otherwise be able to. Like, I think when you're doing creator own work, you have a lot more freedom for that. So, like, I would love to write Spider-Man at some point in my life, but the ability that I'll have to put myself into spider-man is going to be limited by the fact that spider-man's a really well-established person right if i was going to write batman batman couldn't be a silly punk rock person because that's not who batman is though i think that would be really cool to get that version of batman i think it's time oh it absolutely would it absolutely would but that's never going to happen without some drastic changes to the culture of the comic buying public. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of shameful when you think but, about it. But I mean, it. it's also, but like, that's, but that's fair. I don't think that's even necessarily a shame. I mean, the characters are who the characters are, and these people don't have an emotional investment in the idea of a man in a bat suit. They have an emotional investment in Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne's a certain kind of person. 
Peter Parker is a certain kind of person. Clark Kent's a certain kind of person. Just look at the response when people think these characters aren't acting the way that's consistent with who we know them to be. Are you by any chance referring to the Steve Rogers thing? <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't. That popped into my head, but mostly I was talking about Man of Steel. Ah, which I I'm one of the eight people who really liked that movie. <laughs> I was gonna say, unfortunately, I can't count myself among them. However, though, now now this is interesting. So. Just a quick run that. So what was it that you really enjoyed about that? Was it just the overall just difference in the character? No, it wasn't a difference in the character. It was their interpretation of the kind of person that Superman is was actually, if not identical with, fairly consistent with my own, which is that Superman is not a perfect person. He's just a good person. And that Superman is not all-knowing or all-powerful, but he's the sort of person who is always trying to find the way out, even if he sometimes can't. One of like my favorite comics of all time is Kingdom Come, and Kingdom Come has that Superman in it. So people who like are upset about Man of Steel but like Kingdom Come, I'm kind of baffled because that's a Superman racked by indecision. That's a Superman who doesn't know the right thing to do. That's Superman who is not above killing. Even if he manages to stop himself at the end, he's not above it. You know, like that was a direction he was going to go into for a variety of reasons. That's a Superman who spent years turning his back on the rest of the world so he could isolate himself because he didn't know what his place was anymore. And um, that's a vision of the character that I think dovetails really well with Man of Steel. I always like Superman at, mo at his morally complex, not Superman, sort of the super Jesus. <laughs> I can talk about Superman all day. Um, I love Red Sun because Red Sun is the same thing where it's trying to take the kind of Superman person is and putting it in a different context, but they're consistent with the values that he has and they still function within his character as we know him. And that's what makes Red Sun such a, a disturbing and interesting book. It's one of those perfect portraits of Superman there is, and it does that by putting him in a weird mirror. I don't know if you saw Superman Doomsday, the uh, animated movie from uh, like 07 or something. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, so like what we get there is Superman, was it Doomsday? It was the one where they basically redid Death of Superman. I just got myself mixed up for a second. That's okay. It all kind of merges together after a while. <laughs> so when they clone Superman, there's this you know moment where they're like they took everything they knew about Superman and put it into this clone, but they still couldn't make him that guy. Right. It was just really just perfect kind of conception that Superman is only who he is because of the character that he has, and that character manifests itself in different ways in different settings. Anyway, huh. so that's a long way of saying that I thought that uh, Man of Steel worked really well in terms of presenting a complicated and human vision of the character. But that's a long tangent. No, that's perfectly fine. But it, it does speak to volumes of having challenges of dealing with, I guess, what we consider a legacy character versus something like a creator owned where, you know, like what Kim and Kim or let's say Jade Street or any of like books where you pretty much have kind of like a blank slate to do almost whatever you sort of want to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I can do whatever I want. Kim and Kim does not have like a rating. I can do whatever I want. Oh, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> exactly. Jade Street's an all ages book. Kim and Kim is absurdly not one. But no, I mean, yeah, it's true. So in terms of my connection with the Kims, I'm able to put really to pour parts of myself into it that I wouldn't be able to do if I was writing Daredevil, which I would love to do again, if anyone from Marvel is listening, because I'm the person behind them and I'm not beholden to a vision of the character other than my own. 
which is interesting because that's something that becomes clear over time. So, you know, I'm three issues in and I know a lot more about the characters than I did when I started. Right. And so I'm less free now than I was at the beginning because they've started to take shape and I have to make sure they're acting consistently with each other. That's also the thing that writers often speak about is making sure that you're not getting in the way of your own character's progression. That's true. That's a big deal because you'll have your idea of what you want them to do. And then you'll realize halfway through that that's not a thing they would ever do. I had this one script I was writing sometime about a year ago. It was a, a stronghold issue that has been made. And there are these two characters fighting, and it was supposed to end with one of them walking away. And then I'm in the middle of the fight, and I realize, oh, my God, he's going to kill him. And it's a major character who was going to get killed. Yeah, and I just sort of had to own it because it was consistent with everything I'd been building up to. It was consistent with these characters' relationships with each, with each other. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of frustration that was kind of suddenly boiling over. And the rage that was being unleashed in the fight, there was no way that anybody was going to let anybody else walk away from this. I had to commit to that. Like, I had a talk with my editor about it. That was Heather Antos, who's now editing Star Wars books at Marvel. I had a long chat with her about it, and she was like, you need to do it, even if it throws off your plans for the arcs going and where you want these characters to be two, three issues from now, because it's the natural progression of the scene, and it's the natural development of these characters. Stronghold is a fantastic book, by the way. It's all right. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I mean, granted, when I, like I said, when I met you at Special Edition, that was the book I picked up at your table, and I read it at a barbecue, just hanging out, and I burned through those the trade paperbacks so quickly. But it was a really fun story. I'm uh, unfortunately not on the book anymore after issue eight. The book's on a bit of a hiatus anyway. Okay. Because Kevin is working. Actually, Kevin just wrapped um, his first solo book. I helped him with you know the story on it. But it's really Kevin's book, and it's fantastic. I don't say that lightly. It is fantastic. It's called Ride, and he's going to have that at Heroes. Awesome. I mean, I'm sorry to hear that you're not in the book anymore, but will you two be working on other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm so, I'm actually just ridiculously busy with a lot of other projects. Right. The big thing with Stronghold is that I just kind of moved on from it. Like, the story isn't where I am as a writer. Okay. And it's really hard for me to read it because I wrote it at a much less developed part of my career. Okay. So I see all these corners that I wrote myself into and sort of like dragged myself out of. But so to me, I see all these flaws in the story and it makes reading it really frustrating. I mean, I've actually, I've gotten a lot of very positive feedback about the book. So I'm not saying it's a bad book. As a writer, I find revisiting work that old um, a very difficult process and so continuing to work with that with those characters and telling that story which is very overly complicated and i'm you know it's seven issues in i've got three casts and three locations they're all comp trying to move toward the same goal and it's just it kind of was starting to feel unwieldy and i got more interested in very very tight stories and with very very small casts right so something where like with stronghold where there's like 14 people and i was introducing new characters all the time it just got very out of control very quickly, and I'm, I just kind of wanted to wash my hands of it and move on to stories that I found more creatively fulfilling. No, you know what, though? That's fair, because, you know, earlier we talked about the sort of dynamic between comic creators and how it's almost like garage bands. And if I know anything about bands, like you know, there's some times where maybe members will leave, and it's not necessarily, you know, for any reason other than, you know what, I realize that for whatever the reason may be, this just, I guess, isn't necessarily fulfilling anymore. So then they'll go on to do their other things. And you know what? That's, I think it takes a lot of character and it takes a lot of guts and a lot of maturity to say, hey, you know what? While 
this thing was great for a while. This isn't where I am as a creator. And I think that's something that's important that you do have that ability sometimes to be able to admit that to yourself. Yeah. And the thing is, is when you have someone on the creative team who's not committed to the project or not invested in it in the same way as you might want, it causes a lot of tension. And It slows production. If you're not enthusiastic, you're not going to be doing your best work, especially for a creative field like comics. So really, I mean, I think it's definitely for the best to walk away from it. Kevin's still committed to it. We've got a new writer coming on and they're working off uh, plot outlines and some existing scripts that I generated. So it's not like my hand is completely off the till. And I'm still going to be doing like some script supervision and editing work. But like, I just can't give it the kind of attention that it needs for me to handle scripting duties while I'm doing Kim and Kim, while I'm prepping all these other pitches. Like the thing about Stronghold, it's also really difficult to, at this point in my career, to stick it out because I'm just not sure what, if any, future the book has due to its really rocky quality issues. Just because production uh, spans such a, a long period of time. We've been working on Stronghold in one form or another since 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in that time, I think we produced something like 11 solid issues. And then we rebooted it once. And it's like it's just been this big ongoing sort of snaky mess. And I think there's definitely some really solid stuff in, in it. And I'm not it's not to say that I'm unhappy with the work as a whole or that people should not go immediately on Comixology and buy it. You absolutely should. It's three issues for 99 cents. There's really it's definitely worth 99 cents, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I didn't find it fulfilling anymore. And I just wanted to go in a different direction with my career. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not trying to, like, shit on my own book. It's a oh, no, but... story. Like, it's so the opposite of Kim and Kim. Like, Kim and Kim is bright and happy and fun and crazy. And Stronghold is, like, sort of, like, relentlessly dour. <laughs> I guess it spoke to me because I think at my core, I, I feel like I, as far as my storylines, I do get a big kick out of relentlessly dour. I do, too. I don't want to write it, though. <laughs> like I said, that's fair because, you know what? Today I know itself be true, but... I will say, though, I really did enjoy it because nothing good happens. And I don't mean that in terms of... (laughs) No, and things just keep getting worse. (laughs) And there's just something that was strangely endearing about that. Well, I mean, like, that definitely is coming off the fact that in 2007, we were all so obsessed with Battlestar Galactica. I think everybody was. Yeah, and that was my attempt to try to capture that kind of brutal majesty. So, Sea of Clouds. Now, this one is a little different, though, because this is a webcomic, correct? Yes, that's true. All right, this is you and Fabian, if I'm not mistaken, um, working mm-hmm. on this one together. So, I don't know if you would mind giving maybe a little info about that book. So, Sea of Clouds is a weekly webcomic, which is currently on hiatus while I work on Kim and Kim, which is about... It's kind of difficult to say what it's about. Basically, the opening premise is there's an astronaut in, like, a, a mining station alone on the moon, kind of like in the movie Moon, but it goes in a wildly different direction. And she's just sort of coming back in from from an expedition, and she sees that a power cable appears to have been chewed through, and then that is going to launch her an adventure. We've only gotten six pages done at this point, um, because basically as soon as I started working on it, Kim and Kim got picked up. And so like, like within about a week of us wrapping the book, Kim and Kim got picked up. Or not wrapping the book, but wrapping the uh, six pages. Oh, okay. We did the six pages and we started putting it up. And I was like, okay, that gives us six weeks to do the next pages. So, like, we started putting it up very late February. And then I get the email from Matt at the very beginning of March. Wow. So we'd had two pages up and and I've just sold a book. And I've got other projects on hiatus 
that, you know, I can't move on because Kim and Kim is like inhaling my life <laughs> at the moment. But that's it, which is which is fantastic. I love working on it. I, I never regret working on it. Yeah, that's your baby at this point. But anyway, so Sea of Clouds was supposed to be kind of this free form improvisational jazz kind of comic. Like I was only writing it in six page spurts. Um, I didn't do any planning outside those six pages. And so I don't know where it's going. I have like a, a, an idea as to what kind of story I think it'll turn into, but I don't know if it actually will. The whole thing that started off as this kind of as this idea of an astronaut walks away from their station for some reason, and they just keep walking. And the further they walk, the less like the moon it gets. And so that's what's going to happen. Like, I don't want to spoil the hell of it because I do. But like, this is the basic premise of the book. We're six pages and I have to at least tell you what the idea is that our main character, her name's Violet. She walks off her base for a variety of reasons. As she walks, she starts like seeing like little clumps of grass coming out of the lunar regolith. And then one morning the sky turns blue at morning. And so she risks it and takes off her space helmet and she can breathe. And she doesn't know where she is anymore. And she kind of wonders if she died and this is heaven or something, or if this is some sort of, you know, um, hallucination caused by a lack of oxygen but she doesn't know. And then the story is going to kind of veer off from there. But I, I, it doesn't have like a like a planned out arc or anything. The whole point of it was it was going to be this casual thing that Fabian Taylor and I could do while we weren't working on other things so that we would always have something coming out. That is a really cool idea. It's like, hey, this is like your your Ocean's Eleven. We're basically making this book just so that way we can kind of have it a reason to hang out. <laughs> it's not so much a reason to hang out. It's really important. I mean, like, I do love hanging out with these people and talking with them. But it's a matter of making sure we're not ever not working and that we're not ever not doing something to put ourselves out there, that we're always generating our body of work. Right. Which is just so important because like in comics, if you, you know, don't produce for a year, you might as well have ceased to exist. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely something I've noticed. And like after Kim and Kim, I don't have my next book lined up. Like I have pitches that are out there, but like I don't have, I don't I haven't sold anything yet. So like what's going to happen? Kim and Kim's going to come out last issue would drop in what October and then what? I'm gone. I definitely don't think that would be the case, though. Oh, no. I live on Twitter, of course. Well, you know what? I can't even say anything because I do, too. So, you know what? It's just the way it is. Twitter's magnificent. Oh, it's it's amazing. Honestly, if it weren't for that, where would I be? And it's a terrible thing to say. No, it's true. <laughs> I wouldn't have a career. I don't think we both would. So, it's like, you know what? All those people are like, social networking is ruining our lives. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? This is giving me life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, man. But that's the one thing I noticed about you, though. You always have so many different creative plates spinning. You had strongholds. You're working on Kim and Kim currently. Then you worked on things like Andrew Jackson in space. Like, there's so many books who were very different thematically. And it's just something that's just, I think, really cool as a writer to be able to write so many different styles of books. Kim and Kim and Andrew Jackson in space actually have a lot in common. Like I told you that one of the things that was frustrating about Stronghold was how massive the cast was. Right. That was very clear to me when I noticed I was really zeroing in on a couple of characters and their relationship as being the story I wanted to tell. I got less and less interested in all these other plot threads because these two characters are so interesting to me. So I decided I wanted to do a book where the stakes were a lot smaller, where I had a cast of two people. And I could just have them do whatever I wanted from adventure to adventure, where I wasn't being held up by this big, giant, overarching arc that everything had to, like, fit into. And so Kim and Kim is structurally kind of the same thing, is building off the same kind of dynamic. It's a more sophisticated way of telling that kind of story, because I learned, like I said, I learned a lot writing Andrew Jackson in space. But it's all coming from the same desire 
and the same sort of place creatively. Andrew Jackson's Space, though, is definitely a much darker story. The first issue is, you know, like this rip-roaring, you know, pulp sci-fi adventure. Um, and it definitely goes in a darker place um, from then on. We're actually working on issue two now. Yeah, because that first book, like I so said, like Kim and Kim, it's very irreverent. But then at the same time, like I remember looking at the book at your table and thinking to myself, the title is attention grabbing. But then it's like, you know, Andrew Jackson was a horrible human being. He's yeah. A, I, think, I know he's a horrible human being. The amount of like abuse I got on Twitter when I was doing the Kickstarter for that was really surprising considering really? how nobody had read the book yet. But they were like, how dare you do a comic where Andrew Jackson is Han Solo? And I'm like, you haven't read it yet. He's not on solo. Um, and, and so basically precisely to counter that kind of criticism, we're definitely going to be approaching telling the book as a graphic novel instead of as a, a monthly series. That way the whole story is there right at the beginning. And nobody like the first chapter, the first issue is kind of a fake out. It's Andrew Jackson as he sees himself. But then at the very, you've, I mean, you've read the book and I'm not spoiling right. it for the, you know, I, they're not going to buy it. Um, <laughs> at the end of the first issue, he turns on the person that you thought he was rescuing. And then you're like, oh, he's the bad guy. And that was the great part about it. Exactly. And he doesn't even know that he's the bad guy. So like in the next issue, we find out why he's the bad guy. We find out what he's trying to accomplish. And then we find out there's like we, we get an even darker vision of the sort of person that he is as a result of crazy space and time travel stuff. But Jackson is under no circumstances the hero of Andrew Jackson in space. He's just the protagonist. Right. And I love those stories, though. And it's damn dangerous to use someone like Andrew Jackson. Like I said, he's a horrible person. And it seems like every, let's say, 10 years, another part of his history comes up. And you're like, oh, God damn. <laughs> oh, he's a monster. He was a monster. But, like, I'm a massive history buff. And I spent a lot of, like, I, the reason I decided to do Andrew Jackson in space is because I'm really fascinated by the early Republic period of the United States. So like, you know, 1780-ish to about, I don't know, the 1830s. So basically from the founding of the Republic all the way to Jackson as this defining end of an era, Jackson burst out of nowhere, totally upended the entire country and basically invented the United States that we live in. The United States before Jackson looks nothing like this. The United States after Jackson looks exactly like this. He's the founder of the United States. He's the father of our country for, I won't, I won't even say for better, for worse, absolutely <laughs> for worse. This guy came in and just screwed the entire experiment up on almost every conceivable level. I'm not a fan of Andrew Jackson, but he's such a titanic, dominant, fascinating figure, boiling over with contradictions, prideful, violent, a little crazy, frequently drunk. You basically described, like, I think almost every founding father and then some at that point. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's that's not exactly true. The, the, the founders are really just a massively diverse group of people. Um, you know, you got John Dickinson, who was basically a pacifist. You get John Adams, who is the opposite of Andrew Jackson in every conceivable way, except that they're both very prideful. You know, he was this very sober-minded, scholarly, philosophical dude. You get Jefferson, who is this sort of revolutionary philosopher who never actually got around to putting his ideals into practice in his own life. You don't get cowboys like Andrew Jackson. You have, like, I can't, I can't think of anyone who would fit that description among the, the main, the initial, <laughs> you know, founding group. 
Sorry, I'm a nerd. I'm a giant nerd. No, that's fine. And oh, trust me, when you said history, I'm like, I'm tuned in. The minute you started off, I'm like, I could pretty much listen to this forever. I could I could keep talking. Oh, I was going to say, as long as you don't have time, please do, though, because honestly, one day I may just have to do like a drunk history style episode where it's just basically just that very same thing, because there's so many great stories. And this is why I love comics, because you're getting stories and different, you know, things that I wouldn't get these conversations anywhere else. Are you kidding me? This is how the reason why I love podcasting. No, totally. Absolutely. And that was such a fascinatingly diverse market right now, which is, I think, is this thing that is that gave Kim and Kim its opening. Like Sex Criminals is a book that exists. Yeah, that's a book that's happening like right now as we speak. Ten years ago, nobody would have published Sex Criminals. And now it's a hit. It wins awards. It's respected. And it's about people who have sex and freeze time so they can rob people. That's genius. <laughs> For all of the unfortunate parts of the current comic community, but yet there's so many great things. And I know I probably sound really repetitive, but I can't think of a better time to even be a comic book reader. No, there isn't. There have been better times to be in the comic book industry, but there's been no better time for reading it. Magdalene, thank you so much. I didn't believe the hour's already up that quickly. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised. I looked up at one point, so we were 36 minutes in, and I didn't know how that was possible. <laughs> I know, time flies when you're talking about how horrible Andrew Jackson is. Oh, and he's a monster. I could keep going. If you want, I can just keep going. I can tell. Can I tell one funny Andrew Jackson story real quick? Oh, like I said, you want to tell two more? Go ahead. Three more? Let's do this. Okay, but I've got one. This is my favorite one. So... Dude comes up and he's going to try to kill Andrew Jackson. He's going to assassinate Andrew Jackson while he's giving this speech. So he jumps up on the podium and he pulls out his gun. Now, unfortunately for him, it was a really humid day and gunpowder back then sucked. And his gun didn't fire because it had gotten damp. But because he knew to anticipate this, he brought a backup. He immediately whips out a second gun. Same thing happens. So he's sitting there with two dead pistols and Andrew Jackson, who was like a million feet tall, staring him down. Andrew Jackson then pushes him off the stage and beats him nearly to death with his cane. In Holy front shit. of a, this is the sitting president of the United States. <laughs> see, see why I had to put him in space fighting robots? Like, that's perfect. That's perfect. A drunken maniac in space. <laughs> See, like, I knew some of the stories, like, I knew he was something, and I hate using the term, you know, especially politically, because, you know, it's been overused, but I know he was something of a maverick when it came to just his personality, but, you know, I think without the context, it may be hard for people to kind of get that, because, you know, you think Andrew Jackson, you know, there's usually two stories you hear of, and you're like, oh, I don't want to read a book about that guy, but now that you know the story of a man who beat someone during a speech... <laughs> All of a sudden, it becomes entertaining with me. a cane while president. <laughs> and it's just imagine, like after he's done, like he's straightening out his clothes. <laughs> there's probably blood splatter. <laughs> he's just like trying to compose himself, like like as if no one saw this. <laughs> he just leaves. <laughs> It's like, uh, my fellow Americans, I'm like, our, uh, excuse me, sir, Mr. President. Now, now, gonna... back to the, we must destroy the Bank of the United States. 
Oh, and believe me, I definitely don't want to be in a world where that may happen again. But just to think at some point, things were just that bad shit insane that that just it just happened and people accepted it. And think about it. There was no social networking. People probably didn't write about it much. So it just probably became one of those fun stories that people told. And like, can you believe that Andrew Jackson beat the shit out of somebody during a speech? Like, No, that didn't happen. <laughs> Maybe. The press was a really different thing back then, and I don't, I don't know right. what the coverage on that was. But um, the fact that the story <laughs> survives, I think, indicates that it was probably recorded in a reputable source. Yeah, I was going to say, you'll remember something like that. That story gets passed down. Oh, yeah. All right, we got to do a few more. Okay, now, now I'm invested. Let's see. What else you got? Because this is great. Oh, Christ. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, though. But... That's like my go-to Jackson story. Uh, okay, so... So I'll, I'll give you one more because right. um, I don't want to like spend a lot of time like cracking my brain for it. But this is this is another great one. So he um, was an Indian fighter. Right. Which is one of the things that's terrible about Andrew Jackson. And I can't remember which tribe it was he had recently massacred, but he adopted one of the kids of an Indian chief he had killed. Wow. Can you imagine like being that kid? How surly his relationship must have been with his dad. Oh. And Jackson just at some point is just like, like, you're just mad because I killed your real family. <laughs> <laughs> or being like, oh, uh, you're not my real dad. It's like, yeah, I know, because I killed him. It's like, oh, that's the darkest sitcom of all time. Yeah, oh, man, like, that's so bizarre. And, like, I, you have to, like, give him credit for <laughs> trying to do one, like, good thing out of it. But, like, I can't. I can't, I can't do it. There's this great market, because I don't know if you've read, um, was it Erica Schultz, the unauthorized biography of Winston Churchill? No, I have not. I have read a good amount of Erica's, but I haven't read that one. Oh, that one's great, but it's another story. You know, I don't want to give too much away, but long story short, it's, um, imagine Winston Churchill and Raptors. Uh-huh. <laughs> Like, it's a great story. And I just have this weird kick. Like, that needs to be a genre in and of itself of just absurdist historical humor. Like, I thought I could doing a follow-up to Andrew Jackson's where it's just going through time beating people up. Oh, that'd be... The time, Roosevelt's? Oh, but see, you have to put in FDR, though, as, like, a buddy duo. No, because, like, if anybody's <laughs> going to be his sidekick, it's got to be Taff. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and they're just bickering constantly because they hated each other. Oh, my God. That, I didn't even think about that. That'd be even better. <laughs> oh, oh, but yeah, this would be a great like comic book genre of just or even like an anthology of just a few writers writing just really bizarre revisionist history. Oh, yeah. I'd love to do one where James K. Polk is actually a supervillain instead of just basically a supervillain. <laughs> Oh, kind of like what was was Saturday Night Live and they used to do the sketch like the ex presidents where they were like the the superhero yeah, yeah. team, something like that, but obviously with more of a classic theme though. I don't know. I think you could do some fun stuff with Jimmy Carter. I think so. H W. <laughs> and unfortunately, some of those are it, it's it still might be a little too recent for it to be entertaining. I don't know. I don't think anybody has an opinion about George H W Bush anymore. So. <laughs> I'm one of those few people who's like, re- like really just like has a lot of respect for him, but um, most people have more or less forgotten anything he did as president other than Desert Storm. Yeah, I mean, considering his son, I think at that point he's very boring in comparison. He was so much of a better president, too. Just like orders of magnitude. <laughs> but granted, you'd have to be really terrible to somehow be worse, Dan, but I guess at least it's a whole other thing, though. Oh, yeah. But like the shitty thing is that sadly, who our best president was, it was James K. Polk. <laughs> 
He made three goals for himself and accomplished them all. He accomplished every campaign promise. They were all terrible, terrible, horrible, monstrous things. But he did them. He did them all. I guess that's the argument then. If a president makes good on their promises, no matter how terrible, does that make him a successful president? I think it makes him a very successful president. He did everything he set out to do. <laughs> that is the hot take of all hot takes, I think, today. <laughs> Oof, man, monster. So many horrible people in history. I know. It, it's not fun. It's not fun no, at all not when you fun think about all. it. But no, at the same no. time... And you're like, they made the country we live in. God. Yeah. I think once you come to the realization that not every historical figure was necessarily as heroic as, you know, time made them out to be, is there something freeing about that? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the day when we're able to say that about our heroes as well as our uh, villains. Right. You're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone who has anything bad to say about Abraham Lincoln. Oh, there's some dirt there. Or George Washington. And there's dirt for, well, there's dirt for everybody because they're, they're human beings. God, maybe you fucking... George Washington was super into furry porn. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Turns out he started it. <laughs> it's like, Martha, fetch my... <laughs> <laughs> fetch me my deer head. <laughs> I shall be the stag. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, but you need to cancel Kim and Kim. Get this made. Let's get this Kickstarter going like tonight. Let's go. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Never again. <laughs> oh, This is not a thing I'm ever revisiting. This never happened. This never happened. <laughs> I was never here. I was at a family barbecue this whole time. <laughs> um, but before we go, I'm always about shameless self-promotion. Please, please, please tell the good people where they could find you and your work on the internet. Okay, so right now, the big thing you need to focus on is Kim and Kim. It's coming out in early July. Uh, I think the, I think we're first week, but we're still negotiating ship date. So let's say July 6th. You need to get your pre-orders in before the 3rd. The diamond code is May161208. Um, there is no website for the book, but you can follow me at Mags of Sags, and you can follow Kim and Kim at, at Kim and Kim Comic on both on Twitter. Kim and Kim will be available on Comixology, and it's currently up on pull list as well, so if you can add it to your pull right from the comfort of your own couch. What an age we live in. Yep. Magical. <laughs> Or you could go to an actual comic book store and like talk to a person. That's fun too. I was gonna say like, and if you're in the North New Jersey area, please go to Eastside Mags. They do not sponsor the show, but they are a really great store. And I was just like talking about them. And if you're in Manhattan, I highly recommend Carmine Street Comics. It's off West Fourth on the A. There you go. <laughs> it's like right there too. If you live on the West Side, it's so easy to get to. Every train goes there. I don't think I've been there yet. It's a teeny tiny, amazing little hole in the wall. Go there. Really? It looks so big in the pictures. It is the smallest thing I've ever set foot in other than a refrigerator. <laughs> if there's more than three people in it, it's it's packed. Oh, man. But I got to definitely check out the store sometime soon. It's my cheers. It's where everybody knows my name. Fantastic. For everybody else, though, I don't have to worry about my information because I put together this fun little commercial at the end. Uh, but this will be it for us. So that'll do it for Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Goodbye.
guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, I'm kidding. You're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>